Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus has completed a, another miraculous moment. He went to the mountain apart, left everyone to pray. When it was evening, he was alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. Who's ever been in a place where the winds are contrary to you? Who's ever tried to walk forward, but it seems like you always get pushed backwards? That whatever you do, you can't make it forward. Do I have a witness in this house today? The fourth watch of the night, he went to them. Here's the moment. Walking on the sea. Now there were times he waited for them on the shore. So that when they came into port or to dock, he was there. Even preparing food. But this time, he went to them walking on the sea and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were troubled why because no one walks on water a couple years ago a magician purported to walk on water he did it several times until the last time he slipped on the clear acrylic base that he was walking on you couldn't see it he slipped off that and fell just so you know nobody walks on water Houdini doesn't do it all the other people they don't do that when they saw him they thought it was a spirit a ghost they were afraid this is the natural response but straightway Jesus talked to them or immediately saying calm down <laughs> it's me you don't have to be afraid see before that no one ever saw him walk on water you know why because we've limited Jesus to what we think he can do and we get afraid when he does something that's out of our purview I just want to stand here and tell you something today. The Lord can do much more than you've ever seen him do. He wants to do more than you could ever dream of him doing. Nobody has ever exhausted the catalog of the mighty power of Jesus Christ. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water and Jesus said come and when Peter was come down out of the ship Peter walked on the water here's the purpose to go to Jesus amen Here's the truth. Mm -hmm. 
your perspective. Becomes your reality. Case closed. What you perceive is what is. This is a good moment to kind of grunt back to me, nod, wink, blink, breathe. I wish it weren't so. I wish that my reality was the height and breadth and, and width of everything that I already know. But it is greater than that. I wish that I could see what cannot be seen. But what I often look at in the physical becomes the impenetrable wall that keeps me from the other side. Which is something beyond where I'm at. Because I have set my own limitations upon my perspective. My perspective has a hammer and a nail. It's, I'm building something around me. It closes me off. I've got a trial and concrete and blocks and I've built a barrier between where I am and where I could be because I perceive something. There are people who perceive that someone doesn't like them and they develop an attitude or a disposition against someone not based on truth but based upon their perception. I sat with a man, one of the wealthiest men I've ever been with. I sat with him but I didn't know he was wealthy and it looked like he had cut his own hair. Have you ever tried that? One time I got aggravated because the prices went up and I said, I got two hands and a mirror. What can she do that I cannot do? When I got to the place to get my hair fixed because there was a hole in the back and it went up like that. She said to me and I quote, pastor, don't ever do that again. And I looked at that man with his blue jeans and his worn out loafers and his haircut. I'm sure that he had bought a Floby. You don't remember? The Floby? The Floby had a little battery pack like a vacuum, had a hose. At the end of the hose, it had like, like rotating scissors and it didn't hurt your head but you could just stick it on your head and it would cut your hair and suck up the, the, the loose ends of the hair. It was a flow bee. Innovation at its highest. And I perceived him in a physical natural realm because I looked through my perspective, and it built an assumption that was not true. And we often have pity on people who are powerful, and we have respect on people who are weak. 
and we gravitate to people because they got some outward show when really they are dead inside. Oh, no. And we make assumptions on people that they are powerless when really the Holy Ghost inside of them. And if you'll change your perspective, I promise you something's going to open up to your life. Tear down those walls because God can do something if you will remove and change your perspective. I'm not careful. My perspective will not only limit me to the place I'm, I am, but it will become the person that I am. And I'm wondering if Paul didn't have full grasp on that thought when he wrote, and I quote, I say it, I can do all things. There's a preceding verses that speak of what he had to learn. He said, I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty and be full. And I know what it's like to be hungry and be empty. There are times, he said, he wrote again, I had plenty more than enough. And there were times when I suffered. It was loss and abandonment. To the church at Corinth, he said, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robber, in perils of my own countrymen, people I grew up with, the heathen, I expected that of them, in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea. Here's a, here's a really tough one for some of you. Among false brethren, false brethren will stain your brain. <laughs> they look like brothers, but they're fakes. In weariness and painfulness and watching in hunger and thirst and fasting often in cold and nakedness. He said, I've learned he had a perspective that did not line up with his trouble. He had a belief that bifurcated somewhere back there. He, he thought something not based upon his current status, his want and loss and daily battles did not determine who he was or where he was going. His perspective was set on the mark for the prize. And perhaps that is why he wrote, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Hear it. Not I, but Christ which lives within me. It is the most pivotal admission you can make. You need to admit it. I can do all things through Christ. We're just, let's just do the Bible study. I can do all things through Christ. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can do everything through Christ. It is my perspective. I've got to say it out of my mouth. I've got a perspective. It's not me, but Christ that lives within me. I can do everything through him. Hear me. Your admission and my preaching right now separates us, Jesus Christ, from Tony Robbins and Susan Powder and Stephen Covey and a host of motivational gurus. Not I, but Christ. I can do it through Christ. Those people are talking about internal ability to achieve. They're peddling humanistic progress. But I'm preaching Jesus. My internal strength is going to wane and falter. I'm a blink away. You're a blink away from falling on your face. You may be a day away from having a stroke and a heart attack and some kind of disability. Hear me. You will sink if you do it by yourself. The moment you take your eyes off of him and put them on you, you are going to fail. Because nobody walks on water looking at themselves. 
They don't walk on water. They don't do anything great looking at themselves. It's not in me that has the power. You don't have the mortal fortitude and, and the power inside of you. But through Christ. The supernatural power of the Holy Ghost won't share the glory. He's not going to share the glory. God's not going to share the wonder with your flesh. He's not going to share his power. He's not going to do something in this house so that somebody gets the glory. This is not a man-made church. If it's a man-made church, it can be, it can be destroyed by man. But if it's God's church, if you can figure everything out, I'm going to stand here and say that God can do something in this service that nobody's going to be able to compute or figure out. And when we leave here, we're going to say, I don't know how it happened. Yes, yes. God chose the foolish things of the world who confound the wise. The Bible says by the foolishness of preaching, people are saved. God chose the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world to confound the things that are wonderful and great. The things which are despised. God chose them. And things that are not to bring to naught things that are. Uh oh. <laughs> things that are not. To bring into a new reality what is. Why? That no flesh, if we could produce it, we wouldn't have to rely on Jesus. Oh, it's not coming. It's not there yet. You didn't get it yet. If you can bring it into existence, you have no need for God. But the things he wants to help you with is for you to pray that God would bring something that is into play from nothing before that here's verse 30 I read the NIV it is because of him that you are in Christ he allowed you access who has become for us the wisdom of God that is our righteousness holiness, redemption, sanctification just a little Bible study here watch it verse 31 that according as it is written he that glorifieth or glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let him that boast, boast in the Lord. See, I'm preaching to someone, maybe to everybody. You've been living in the boat too long. It's time for you to make a move and experience those things that exist on the other side of your limiting self-perspective view. It's time for you to get out of the boat and walk on something that is impossible to walk on. You've been living in that reality a long time. I want us to change our perspective here today. Why would you walk into the presence of God and leave the same way you came? You're serving a God that's more powerful than your perspective. He has things you've never seen before. He has sounds you've never heard before. He has power you've never experienced before <laughs> my fixation on him changes my perspective perspective of me as long as I'm thinking about me and not him I will live in fear because if you admit it if you'll just be honest you are limited, fallible. You are flawed. We are all distraught. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned to our own way. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. 
Nobody's born to this world good. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Your heart's not pure. Your heart's not good. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know your own heart. That's why you got to put your perspective in the right place and say, I'm leaning on you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. I don't just believe in myself. I believe in Jesus Christ inside of me. My, I'm, I'm fixated. I have a fixation on him who changes my perspective from this temporary binding reality through him. If I'm trying to get to Jesus, if I'm living for him to please him, to reach him, something changes in my life. When you try to get to Jesus to please him, it will show on the inward and the outward. It will show in what you do, what you say, how you live, how you think. If you're trying to get to Jesus, a lot of people love to be in the boat. They like the view. They like the ghost. They like like the image they like that they like all the sh- all the things that are happening and all the programs but god never intended for you to stay in the boat he wanted you to get out of the boat hear me you've been serving god too long to be in that boat right now it's time for you to get up and get out and do something because there is a reality that he has prepared for you Come on, somebody, just clap your hands unto the Lord. You ought to be praising God. This is the day you can turn your whole life around. My perspective is on him. I got a fixation with him. Hear me. I'll tell you what happens with people in the boat. They want somebody to tell them what convictions they should live by. People in the boat need a rule book. People in the boat need instructions. People in the boat need somebody to tell them where to go and where not to go. But if you get your eyes on Jesus, he will lead you into what holiness is really about. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hope you got that. I can't repeat everything. My brother taught me something the other day. Somebody told him a secret. You know, secrets. He said, Jeffrey, somebody told me a secret. I'm not allowed to repeat it, so listen very intently the first time I tell you. (laughs) That's how we roll. (laughs) Listen, I can't. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I can't dictate your house. I can't superimpose my perspective on you. You've got to change your own perspective. Stop thinking you're going to come to church and get fixed. Stop thinking that you're going to come to church and it's all just going to work out. No, you've got to start thinking differently. got to be like those lepers who stood at the gate and said if I go if we go back we die if we sit here we die why sit here till we die let's get up and go somewhere let's do something who knows what God wants to do something in your life if you get out of where you are here the elements fire water wind fiery think of these fiery furnaces fiery furnaces See, they only become a witness of his power. And when you get in them, if you're walking with the Lord, you walk away unsinged. See, the three Hebrew boys, they didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. 
Look at the sun. The sun was held in its place just so Joshua could complete the task. The moon was held over Agilon because Joshua said, Sun, stand still. Check that out for reality. I'm talking about the marvelous by shedding the confines of the familiar. Two defining words in Hebrews about Noah. The Bible says Noah moved, was moved. He moved. The movement became the difference between life and death. The movement was the step to the saving of his family. The flood was nowhere in sight. And the sky was clear when he moved. Rain was a myth. And high water was a fable when he moved. People usually scoff at what has, ne- what, what has never been because they live on what has been before. People, even church folk, trust in the past thinking that what can be must be predicated on what has been. If you've never seen a flood, then you have no belief that it can happen. If there's never been an outpouring of water, then you have no faith that the skies can open up and rivers can birth forth. But Noah moved. And we think that God can do something because he did it before. I say God can do more that has never been done. Uh. I know you want the change. But you've been looking at the temporal and the things that can be explained by rationale and logic and maybe some intellectual prowess. But I'm serving the God of Abraham, who was the father of many nations and who believed in a God, watch this, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they've always been. I'm working on my perspective. When you see it before you see it. What are you happy about? I'm happy because I saw something. Well, is it real? Yes, it is real because I saw it. Can I touch it? No. Can I hear it? No. Can I feel it? No. But I saw it and it is. When you hear it before you, it can be heard. When you believe it before it comes to pass. When it comes to pass, you're not surprised. Why? Because when it comes to pass, you did not begin to shout and dance and praise God after the fact you were doing that and giving thanks long before it became your reality. I'm going to stand here and say your perspective is going to dictate your worship. Hey, how long have you been waiting to dance before the Lord and give thanks for something that you need when right now you can do it because you saw it? And you heard it! Everybody ought to be shouting and clapping their hands to the Lord! This is your day you're going to walk on some water! I want to tell you right now, your perspective is leading your life. It's the precursor of what shall be. What you think about him and your direction is setting the course of everything in your life. You walk into the house of God, you think it's going to be bad. I promise you, it don't matter if a heavenly host comes, Jesus hovers over the pulpit, or the dead come up, the blinded, it's bad no matter what happens because you already thought it was going to be bad. You came in thinking it's no good. You came thinking that God's not going to be here. You came thinking that you're burning and you're going to leave the same way. But if you walked in thinking... 
Hey, watch this. Watch this. I've come to church before. See, I grew up in church. I grew up in church. I slept in church. I've slept through more sermons than most of you have ever heard. I slept under the pews. I slept on the pews. I slept in the aisle. I, I used to tell this. People would dance around our heads. Miracles. They never stabbed us. Miracles are happening. They never poked us. I, people would shout and run. I've been in the church before. I've come in the church needing something from God. And the sermon wasn't in line with what I was feeling. And the music wasn't, it didn't feel, it didn't affect me. And the people weren't excited and hungry. But it didn't matter what they were doing. Because my reaction to the Lord had nothing to do with everybody else. I came in hungry for God, looking for Him. I wasn't waiting for them to entertain me and bring me in because I was already there. I knew if I could just get to that house, it didn't matter what anybody did. Hey! I have preached a thousand revivals where people were dead and I got to the platform, I sang my own song. I shouted and ran around the church and the people watched me. And when I left the revival, I was glad to get out of there because I knew they didn't care. But I was also glad that I got in the presence of the Lord and it was a good day for me. Oh! You don't know like I know what he's done for me. You don't know, you don't know. But I know I got my eyes on him. I'm thinking about him. Hey. Jesus will be just as great as you allow him to be. He will be a great God if you allow him to be a great God. He will be a great Savior if you allow him to be a great Savior. He's a healer to everybody who thinks he can heal. He's a deliverer. You're afraid because you've never seen him do that. You're taking comfort in what he's done before. Just want you to know, he's coming for a purpose on the water. He can wait for you on the shore, but he's given you an insight. He pulled back the curtains a little bit and said, now watch this, boys. Everybody's afraid. Whew. Let me just tell you, the majority of the people who come to church are afraid of the supernatural. You know why? Because you have a limiting perspective on God. And you think you came in at 10 o'clock and you're going to leave at whatever time we're going to get out of here. And you're going to go home and you're going to do that routine over and over and over again. When well, I'm standing here to tell you, God has something for you. He's going to pull back the curtains and show you a glimpse of his power. It's a fraction.
say it out of your mouth whatever he does wherever he goes wherever he is I've got to get to Jesus hold on be seated for a moment this is what I do know there's an atmosphere in here there's a temperature in here the temperature in here is regulated by the air conditioning units it's regulated there's an atmosphere in here it's a natural atmosphere. There's particles of humidity in this room. It's not arid all the time. There's a mixture of, of chemical compounds floating in the air. There are particles you cannot see. It's an atmosphere. It's been created by the people that walk in also because you bring in your own particles. <laughs> I know this to be true. As I shake hands with all the sweet mothers who have just put a whole bottle of lavender potpourri lotion on their hands. And by the time I get to the platform, all I need is a wick. (laughs) Tammy said I can kiss everybody somewhere around 70 years or older. So I've got powder on both cheeks right now. They're not the same kind of powder. (laughs) If I need, if I'm feeling a little peaked, I just hug a couple different people and it kind of gives me a little color on my cheeks. (laughs) Good for the camera. (laughs) Scratch that. Can you scratch that? Don't we have a second, seven second delay? All right. You're setting the at the whole atmosphere is set when we walk in here. Because you're bringing in this house whatever limitation of faith or doubt based upon what has happened in your present reality. But what would happen if we took off the limitations of God? What would happen if you put down the hammer and the nails and the wood and the blocks? And you said, wherever you are, Jesus, I'm heading in that direction. See, whatever atmosphere you want to live in, just talk about it. Just talk about it. This this, this is how you destroy your atmosphere. Get to the restaurant today and say, I just didn't feel anything. Get to, the, get to the restaurant today and say, you know, that didn't just get, I don't connect. Honey, you're never going to connect when you out of your mouth set the atmosphere. You just change the temperature of your life. If you'll say before you walk in, it's good. David said, I enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts. Wait a second. The gates preceded the courts. You don't get to praise until you get to thanksgiving. 
when you enter his gates with thanksgiving, you're apt to praise in the court. Nobody praises in the court because they weren't thankful when they got in the door. They thought it was a duty. Well, I got to clock in and clock out. Why don't you lose that card and why don't you drop it on the ground and stop on it and say, I'm coming with thanksgiving. I'm not coming because it's my duty or out of guilt or out of tradition, but I say thank you when I get to the guilt, when I get to the gates. I've been in this too long. I grew up in this. I know how this works. I know people in the foyer and in the parking lot, when they can't find the place that they want to park, they're already upset. When they walk in the door, they're already thinking about all the trouble. When somebody ignores them or they don't get a bulletin or no one shakes their hand, they're already upset. I want to tell you right now, it shouldn't matter what happens out there. When you open up that door, you say, thank you, Lord. I'm going to set the atmosphere right now. If I can say thank you, then I know I can give praise. Hey, my praise is preceded by my thankful heart. How long are you going to sit there? Before you get up and you let out the shout of your, let me say, I know it sounds just an emotional, provoking word for you. How long are you going to wallow in that mess? God has something beyond the confines of your brain. You cannot fathom what God wants to do. He's going to do things and you're going to wonder how he's doing them. I want to see things I've never seen before. I want to say, I've grown up all in the church all my life, but I've never seen that before. I've never seen God do that before. to shout it and act like it got to. If the man with one leg can do that, surely the men and women with two can do something. Don't tell me it's not your personality.
Okay, just give me, give me three more minutes. Just be seated for a moment. When you get to your seat, clap your hands just as if you are standing. You have 12 in a boat, and one guy says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Mm -hmm. Ha. My kids do this all the time. We did it. I don't know. I think you learn it. You go tell your mom, if she says it's okay for us to come, and she invites us, then we'll say yes. If your mom would just say, it's okay to come on, we all get to go. See, the goal was to get the invite. Let me break it down for you. If you invite me to your house, I'll come. Peter said, if it's you, give me an invitation. See, the Lord is standing here today hoping you're desperate for the invite. I got a lot of people who complain that they were never invited, but they never asked to be invited. Uh-oh. Why did someone invite me? Why don't you ask to be invited? Why? I don't just do that. I don't do that. Yeah, because you're so full of pride. You're so full of a haughty spirit. You're so stuck up in your little boat. You can't even think. I'll tell you what you ought to do. You ought to say, could you invite me? If you invite me, I'll get over there. Hear me. The bold man, the woman who wants something from God is going to say, Lord, if you just bid me come, I'm ready. Why are you waiting for an invitation? You should be asking for an invitation. Guess why? Because the Lord's thinking about you. He carries good thoughts for you. See, this is not about me. It's not about preacher or pastor. It's not about this pulpit and what I'm doing. It's about what he's doing. He died for you, not me. He died and rose again. If I die for you, I'm, I'm going to stay dead. He got up. See, whether you follow it or not, it's up to you. But if you ever wonder what he's thinking, then read Jeremiah 29 and 11. Are you ready? We got to memorize because it's Bible class. It's Sunday school. We're doing a Bible lesson. It's what the Lord said. For I know the thoughts. Everyone say it. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Here's what he's thinking about you. Thoughts of peace. He ain't got any evil thought in his mind about you. 
He's not trying to smash you. He's not trying to leave you out. He wants you to come. He's got a thought for you. If you'll just say, Lord, if it's you, let me come. He's got a good thought for you. He's not willing that you should perish. He's not willing that you should die. He's not wanting you to sink. Here's his thought. He's got an expectation. Oh, that you're going to make it. He's thinking you're going with him to heaven. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there, ye may be also. I've got an expectation. You're coming along. Let me just tell you about the Lord. He thinks you are powerful. He thinks you're wonderful. He thinks you're made after him. He thinks you've got the authority. He thinks you've got the love. He thinks you've got the talent. He gave you the ability. And he has only thoughts of peace. James 4, verse 8. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God. He is coming to you. Lord, if it's you, bid me come. See, what's happening is he's walking for the express purpose for you to see him. He wants you out there. He could have waited in a convenient place, but he put himself in a place of impossibility to stretch your perspective. He put his, him, himself in a place where you can only get to him through the, through the same means that he is there. By the same measure that brought him there, the only way to get to him is to do what he did. Uh, and the Lord knows the limitations. Do you don't think the Lord knows your limitations? He knows your limitations. He knows if you're sitting on that side, you can leap like a kangaroo, run through a wall, play softball and basketball all day, get up the next day and feel no pain. He knows if you're sitting somewhere else, just the mere turn in the seat. <laughs> he knows your limitations. He knows you better than you know yourself. You just got up, did this right here, pulled a muscle. You wanted to shout, you put your left foot up, your right foot down, you start, you start doing the hokey pokey. And you pulled a hamstring. He knows your limitations. He knows how much you can handle and how much you don't. But he is still saying, hey, listen, come on, I know. Why? He knows the water. He knows what H2O does when they are mixed together because he made them. For by him were all things created. Colossians 1.16. That are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Things you cannot see, he made them too. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. I'm not the head of the church. So don't look at me and judge what he can do by what you see in me. I have the physical limitations. I'm not a god. I'm not an idol. And you ought not call me father. But there is one God, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father above all and through all and in you all. And if you look on him, he'll bring you to wherever he is.
I'm getting there. Why are you judging God's love and favor by other people? Why are you judging the doctrine, the validity of the doctrine? Hold on, Roman, just wait a second. I need no backup for this one. Why are you judging the validity of the apostolic doctrine by the failures of anyone who has preached that? A drunk man can preach the truth. It doesn't make him sober or righteous, but it also doesn't change the truth. Why are you judging the limitations of someone else and what God can do by what God did not do in their life? Maybe he has a reason for that, but you ought not judge what God can do because someone else didn't get the same answer that you're looking for. But you keep looking around the church and saying, well, I don't know if I want to go there because that, 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 those people do that over there. I got to sit on the west side. I got to sit on the east side. I'll tell you the problem with the church is we keep looking at one another. We're finding out what, one, what, what each other is doing. And we're looking at people saying, well, I got to have an example. That's right. But you should mark the perfect man. The Bible says mark the perfect man. Let me tell you about who the perfect man is. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the righteous one of God, the mediator between God and man. And here's what Hebrews said to us. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. He's the author. He writes the opening. Because he knew you in your mother's womb. He knew all your parts before they came together. He knew your substance. He, he writes the main characters of your life. He knows the plot, the hook, the conflict, and the resolution. And when it's all said and done with, he is the finisher of your faith. And the voice that spoke the worlds into existence is the same voice that's bidding you come to walk on the things that he put into existence. And it brings me to this point. I wish I was the first one to say it. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat Here, here's the trouble the boat is familiar it protects us but it also cripples us it allows us to do what we can because it appeals to our rational mind it appeals to our sensibilities because the boat is what we made. We believe in the things that we make. We trust it. We have faith in the things that we can see because we made them. We don't question the boat. Let me just tell you, walking with Jesus on the water is always safer than riding in any boat. But if you're ever going to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. Here's what Jesus said. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, 
Somebody say whatsoever. You'll ask in his name. What's the name? Whatever in Jesus' name. That will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, he knows how this works. As long as he's getting the glory, you can ask anything in his name, whatever you want. So the glory can go to him. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. All right. This is a stretch for us now. Um, How is it that our preconceived ideas are so limiting? How is it that they're so limiting? They're limiting because we are fixated in, in a natural world that must be explained. The explanation not only brings comfort to our lives, but it, also, but it also brings a reassurance that we can explain what happened. <laughs> that is the boat that we build. I'm talking to you right now. The Lord wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. But as long as you're trusting in your own thing that you built, you limit the free flow of the Holy Spirit. When the Lord fills you with the Holy Ghost, you've got to release the limitations of God and your perspective has got to be, Lord, I'm here to worship you. And it's not begging. It's thanking him for filling you with the spirit. And as you're worshiping him and giving him glory and giving him praise, thoughts, new thoughts, new words come into your mind. And as you begin to praise God and let, let loose of the control of the natural he fills you with the Holy Ghost and out of your mouth you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Are you with me now? You see, everyone who's ever received the Holy Ghost goes through the same process. It's a release of the control so that God can do what you've never learned how to do. You're not born with the Holy Spirit. You're, in, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So for those of you who have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, what you, want, what you need to do is thank God for it and try to release control of what you think it ought to sound like and what it ought to be. And for everyone who's already received it, apply that same equation to everything in your life. 
You believed God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You started praising God. You let control of yourself. You said, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thank you for this. I'm praising you for it. I'm giving you glory. And you come back again and again until finally one day, he, he, you're out of your belly flow a river of living water. And you began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. I just want to submit to everybody who's already received the Holy Ghost. You're praying for something else. You ought to release control and say, Lord, I know you can do something I can't think of. So I'm not going to box you in. I'm just going to thank you and praise you and give you glory. And when you really lose control of that, God's going to do what only he can do. I don't know where you're sitting right now. But in a moment, I'm going to invite you by special invitation to come. You're going to leave the comfortable surroundings of your position. And your response is going to be the first step to do something supernatural and see God do something supernatural through you. The Bible talks about Naaman. He was a leprous military legend. But no amount of victories could heal his body. Leprosy is a skin and tissue disease. It kills off the blood supply to the soft tissues and the underbelly of the dermis. Naaman was a captain. He was a famous conqueror. But when you have leprosy, you're nothing more than a leper. Lepers could have been doctors and attorneys and lawyers or captains or generals or learned men or musicians or singers or even kings. But the moment you were infected with the disease, all you were was a leper. Elisha, the prophet said, get down to Jordan and dip seven times in the water to which Naaman the leper said, are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better. So he turned away in rage because he didn't want to do that. He didn't like them. The Jordan where he was was filthy. It was filled with the waste from the city. It was a murky mess, not fit for the worst of mankind. Abadar and Farpar were familiar. He knew about them. Naaman knew about them. He knew what they were. He was comfortable back home, surrounded by his natural waters. But no one is going to be healed riding in the natural, comfortable waters. You've got to get out of where you are. I feel a testimony building in this house. I feel a testimony. Because Peter went out. They didn't go out fishing. They didn't go out to do something. He just went out to Jesus. He walked out, and by the grace of God, he walked back in. When he walked out, everything was fine as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But the moment he looked down, he began to sink. Because when you have confidence in what you're doing, you're going to fail every time. But I say to this corporate body, we are going to go somewhere. But we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We are going to have an explosive revival. And we're going to double the people that are in this place right now. We're going to triple it. How? Because we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. Hear me. Are you ready? We got to get to Jesus. Whatever it takes, we got to get to Jesus. I have to tell you and all of the disciples of Jesus Christ, kid out of where you are and trust God he's going to bring you somewhere you cannot get by yourself I'm saying it right now why are you still where you are God did not intend for you to be there I know it's comfortable but you've got to get out of where you are Just stand with me right now. Stand, 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 stand. Whew. 
if you want the Holy Ghost, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, here's what you do. You let go of all those inhibitions. You trust God that he'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. He wants to do it. He wants to finish this now. He wants to finish this now. If you need a healing for your body and you've yet to be healed, if you want the Holy Ghost, if you want a healing for your body, you know you need a healing for your body, I want you to get out of where you are. I want you to come real close and stand right here and line this place right up here. If you want a healing for your body or you want the baptism of the Holy Ghost, don't be afraid. Hear me. Don't think of anybody else in this house but Jesus Christ. You think I'm going to get to Jesus. Come up here. Come up here. Now watch this. Does anybody remember what the Lord has done? Anybody remember? Anybody have a testimony in this house? Raise your hand if you if the Lord has done something great for you. Raise your hand if the Lord's done something great for you. Raise everybody who's experienced a miracle. Raise your hand if God's given you a miracle in your life. Now put your hands down. God wants to give us a new miracle that we've never seen before. Don't put the limitations on Jesus Christ. He can do something that he's never done before. God is going to do something he's never done before. I'm going to say it again. God's going to do something he's never done before. If you want God to do something he's never done before, you may not be sick and you may not need the Holy Spirit. But today you need to get out of your boat too and you need to get up to this front as close as you can. I don't care if you're in the aisle. You got to get out of your seat, your pew. You got to just put one toe in the aisle and say, God, I want you to do something for me that you've never done before. I got to get to you. The ministers are up here. And they're going to lay hands on everybody who's sick. So before, before we get any further, if you're ill in your body, lift up your hands so we know who you are. If you're ill in your body, okay, all those that are ill. Ministers, do you see this? Come here, Mike, right, so get up here. I need, I need your help. I need you to lay hands on people. Come on, come on, Sister Beard. Come on, that's good. That's good. I'm praying for miracles right now. I'm praying for healings of your body. I don't care what disease you have or what the doctor said. I don't care how many pills you've been taking. I'm gonna care. I don't care what the x-rays say. God's greater than this. He's greater than, he's greater than that. He's more powerful than that. Are you ready? Are you ready? I want you to hear the word. I want you to hear the word. Listen, listen to Brother Scott. I want you to hear the word. You're going to quote the scripture. Psalm 78. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and did limit the Holy One of Israel. We're tempting God when we limit Him. Are you ready to be healed? I believe God can do this. Why wouldn't God do it on Sunday morning? Lift up your hands. Everybody lift up your hands toward the front. Let's pray right now that the glory of God will be seen in the lives of every person who is ill and sick in their body. If you know someone's around you, put your hand on their shoulder. Put, their hand, put your hand on them. In the name of Jesus, we take dominion over every sickness and disease by the authority of the word of God and the power that's in the name of Jesus. We plead the blood with your stripes. We are healed. Every addiction, every cancer cell, 
every affliction 